Cinema Week celebrates and preserves the culture of going to the movies, the collective captivation we share, and the stories it tells us about ourselves and each other. Because movies aren't the movies without each other. Because cinema connects us. Cinema Week, coming to theaters October 7th through 13th. This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Daniel Luria, the editorial director of Box Office Pro, the only publication in North America exclusively dedicated to covering the world of theatrical exhibition. Joined today by our co-host, Russ Fisher, the editorial director of the Box Office Studios, which provides editorial content connecting movie theaters and their moviegoers. This week, we're going to be talking with Rich Dockridge from the Independent Cinema Alliance and Brandon Jones, the creator of Cinema Week about an upcoming week-long celebration of movie-going happening in October. We're going to be bringing in insights and clips from a recent webinar we did with Rich and Brandon. That's coming up in our feature segment. But first, let's go over the news, Russ, because there's a lot to catch up on. A massive, massive headline. Russ Cineworld, the parent company of Regal and second largest cinema circuit in the world, filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. We were talking offline about this. I know you had a couple of questions about what this could mean. And I just said, let's save it for the podcast. So (laughs) what do you want to know? Because Rebecca and I have been chiseling away at this story for a couple of weeks now. Yeah, I mean, I think, and it's, this has actually come up in conversation with some friends and some family as well. And I'm, I've tried to give an answer that is not hyperbolic and that is, you know, as accurate as possible. But this is where I'll turn to you for that. And I mean, really, it's the top level question. It's like, what does this mean for Cineworld and Regal? Well, let's start with the basics here. Cineworld is in a unique position among all of the major circuits when we talk about exhibition, all of these multinationals, in the fact that they still have an impressive amount of debt that they have to work their way out. They are filing for Chapter 11, which doesn't mean that they're completely out of business. So that means all the Regal locations are still open. All of the Cineworld locations are still open. That's close to 10,000 screens worldwide across 10 countries. It's a massive, massive circuit. There's not going to be any interruption to the moviegoers, to the staff, or to the vendors. The Chapter 11 is really there to find a way to structure this debt differently. And one of those big points here is going to be finding a real estate optimization strategy in the U.S. for Regal locations, trying to renegotiate some leases and find new terms with landlords so Regal and Cineworld can act on a more viable way moving forward. It's not too dissimilar from what we saw from other Chapter 11 bankruptcies right after the pandemic. We saw this from Dine-In Chain's CMX Cinemas. We saw this from Alamo Drafthouse and from Studio Movie Grill. All those three brands still alive and well today. They haven't disappeared. It was really a situation where they had to go in, renegotiate with landlords. In the case that some landlords didn't want to renegotiate the terms, they lose a location here and there. And then you have another chain come in and take over that lease under another brand. I suspect we're in for something similar here. And is that, from your perspective, what you can see now, is that the most likely thing? Or is there a version of this that ends with 
an acquisition? Uh, the acquisition thing, I think, is going to be very tricky. Every time we talk about a major circuit and a potential acquisition, the first thing everybody likes to talk about is which streamer is going to come in and buy the cinema circuit. Remember right. when Landmark yeah. uh, was on the market some years back, everyone expected Netflix to come in, Apple, Amazon. I, I still am not buying any of that. We see what Netflix has done. They've bought individual locations as anchor points to promote their own releases. We have two locations in, in Los Angeles. What are those two spots that Netflix has? I, I keep on forgetting the theaters there. I mean, the major one is the Egyptian, but it, that's been under renovation. It's not even open yet. Yeah, it hasn't even reopened, right? No, we don't have any real world evidence of how that's going to be run or what it looks like or what it means for their business. And everybody else, I mean, Amazon and Apple there's are such digital businesses that... Yeah, I find, despite the fact that Amazon went into a, you know a physical headquarters with old movie history in Los Angeles, I still find the idea of them moving into a physical theatrical business to be, I don't know, on the far side of the likelihood spectrum, you know? I completely agree with you. I think it's a different boat when we talk about Netflix that's in the subscription and streaming business, that anytime they have a cinema location is there to feed their primary business of selling subscriptions. I don't see Netflix going into the buying a circuit business. I don't see that at all. With Amazon no. and Apple, it's a little bit different because Amazon and Apple are in the brick and mortar business to a certain extent. Amazon has a couple of Amazon physical location stores in major cities, but the big move that they made was buying Whole Foods, the supermarket chain. So they have that experience moving into spaces, sometimes used by cinemas, because a space like that can really be a gym, a supermarket, or a movie theater. So there's a possibility there, but like you say, I, I'm not exactly sure this is going to be part of what they do moving forward, although there is a possibility, however slim. And on the Apple side of things, they have physical Apple stores that have a very specific design aesthetic that are in very specific set of shopping malls, usually the high-earning shopping malls in major cities. So you have a retail component that Apple has, but that doesn't really fit into a theatrical strategy, right? For there to sell computers, not movie tickets, I don't see either Amazon or Apple going in the movie ticket business. The only big thing I could see here is Amazon potentially down the line going in as a third-party aggregator for ticketing, say like a Fandango or Adam Tickets. I find that to be a lot more likely than them going out and selling movie tickets to their own theaters. And selling concession, like Apple being in the concessions business seems like an unusual possibility. Can you imagine how you'd open that nacho box? It wouldn't be like one of those laptops <laughs> or like, like iPhones, very sleek box with your chips and your cheese. Yeah, it's, it's very yeah. unlikely. Uh, if anything, to be completely honest, I think what we may see is that some underperforming locations currently in the Regal circuit might get taken over by another company here and there. I don't think you're going to see the high-earning Regal locations go any way other than continue on the Regal Center World side. And the company states that they expect to emerge from this Chapter 11 bankruptcy in the first quarter of 2023. A big question mark here that might change everything that we just said. There's still about $900 million that, that a Canadian court uh -huh. is asking Cineworld to pay Cineplex for the dropped acquisition. Cineplex being the fourth largest uh -huh. movie theater circuit 
in the North American market, the largest in Canada. Cineworld agreed to acquire that chain right before the pandemic, walked out of the deal, got penalized, give or take around 900 American dollars for it. There's an appeal to that decision. However that ends up, I think might create a couple of plot twists here. Uh, but like we said, we won't be able to know what that means exactly until the Canadian Court of Appeals makes its decision. But let's talk about a little bit more uh, exciting content here, because I think all our uh, B2C audience just fell asleep as we talk about Canadian courts and acquisitions. Disney announcing new titles at D23. Some stuff we'd already heard about, uh, the Black Panther sequel, a new Ant-Man movie. But a couple of fresh details here in the mix. Let's start with Marvel Russ. What jumped out at you from this presentation? Well, some of what jumped out at me is what we didn't get to see. People reacted positively to the Wakanda Forever footage, which I believe was unique to this presentation. And there was a lot of grousing about things that were not at the presentation, like an announcement of an X-Men movie, which, let's be honest, Marvel has told us what they're doing through 25 the X-Men, if I had to put money on things, it's like you currently have the multiverse saga. That's what's ending with the, the last movies they've announced in 25. If I'm Kevin Feige, the next giant, you know, three phase saga is the mutant saga. And it opens, you know, you get your X-Men at the beginning of that. I don't think we're going to hear about an X-Men movie for a while. We got confirmation of the director for Fantastic Four, Matt Shankman, who made WandaVision, the Disney Plus streaming series. This is a name that was reported in the trades a week or two ago, confirmed by Kevin Feige. Still no cast for Fantastic Four, so we don't know what's happening there. We got confirmation of a couple of details about Captain America New World Order, which is May 3rd, 2024 release featuring Anthony Mackie in the title role. And that one, the, the big thing there is that the leader, the Tim Blake Nelson character from the Hulk movie of many years back, is uh, going to be taking part. So that's interesting. If you like uh, Marvel characters with giant heads. And talking about casting decisions, this Thunderbolts movie, which I had no idea what it was about until you told me it was a Suicide Squad with Marvel guys. That makes a lot more sense. Ish. Yeah. Ish. Some, something along yeah. those lines. Something like that. Ish. Uh, yeah. Well, that movie's yeah. coming out July 26, 2024. There's cast members and characters announced for this title. Can you go over the highlights of that announcement? Yeah, sure. Really quick. You know, this is uh, pretty much everybody that was announced was, this is more or less the cast I think a lot of people expected to see, where the Julia Louise Dreyfus character, Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, we'll call her Val. We've seen Dreyfus in a couple movies and she showed up like at the, at the end of the Hawkeye series and she was in Black Widow really briefly. She's in the movie. She's kind of the, the Nick Fury of the team. You've got Florence Pugh's new Black Widow character, uh, Yelena Belova. She's in the movie along with Olga Kurilenko, uh, who played Taskmaster in Black Widow. So they're in there. Wyatt Russell's alternate Captain America U.S. agent uh, from the Falcon and Winter Soldier series. He's in it. Uh, supposedly Bucky Barnes, uh, played by Sebastian Stan, is showing up once again, uh, which will be fun for people. Hannah John Kamen's character, Ghost, who we last saw in 
the second Ant-Man and the Wasp movie is showing back up. She was kind of an assumed inclusion, but... And then finally, the David Harbour character, Red Guardian, who is also in Black Widow, is confirmed to be part of the cast. So it's like, this is all more or less what, you know, kind of insidery folks had been assuming would be the deal. And, you know, basically this is your next big Marvel super team in the movies for a couple of years running. So this is a lineup that we will see more of into the big Secret Wars event movies, which will be in uh, 24 and 25. And on the other side of the big IP world of the Disney universe, we had an update from Lucasfilm. They showed a sizzle reel of Indiana Jones 5, directed by James Mangold, who I think is always an interesting filmmaker. He's shown that he can do original films. He's shown adaptability to IP titles. Because of him, I'm interested to go back to the Indiana Jones series. That's scheduled for June 30th, 2023. And looking ahead to 2023, let's go over some of these highlights uh, from that D23 presentation. Some Disney titles here, some live action, some animated. Russ, what jumped out at you from that list of Disney releases? There are a couple of things that jumped out. Number one, I was I think that if you had forced me to answer whether it was going to be theatrical or Disney+, Plus, I would have told you the Haunted Mansion movie was Disney+. Plus. But there's a new Haunted Mansion movie directed by Justin Simeon, who did uh, Dear White People, with Rosario Dawson, Lakeith Stanfield, Owen Wilson. Uh, that's going theatrical March 10th, 2023. So that's actually relatively soon, six months away. And then there's the Mufasa, The Lion King in 2024. There's a live action Snow White with Rachel Zegler and Gal Gadot. And then uh, we finally saw the first footage from the live action Little Mermaid, which stars Halle Bailey and Melissa McCarthy, and that is coming in May 2023, so that's relatively soon as well. Um, I think the things that jump out to me more are a couple of the Pixar movies. We knew about Elemental, which is June of next year. Pixar had flags planted on two additional dates, and they named those movies. One is a movie called Elio, which is from one of the, from the writer and co-director of Coco. Uh, it's about a boy who ends up going to space and is mistaken as an ambassador for Earth, uh, which is a very kind of like fun Chuck Jones, Warner Brothers cartoon from the 50s kind of concept. That is March of 24. And it's, you know, it's an original IP. And it more to the point, this and Elemental both mark, it's probably wrong to say a shift, but these are movies that are probably more traditionally what you expect from Pixar than something like Lightyear, which, right. you know, I think there's a lot of reason to question what effect Lightyear had on Pixar's development pipeline overall and how the, the studio is going to incorporate lessons learned from that movie into what they're doing in the future. Elemental and Elio are both movies that, like I said, they, they look like Pixar movies. They look like the sort of Pixar movie that if you said 10 years ago, if somebody asked you what a Pixar movie looked like, you would describe something that looks like those two movies. And then along, along with that, we have the announcement of Inside Out 2, which is the follow-up to Pete Docter's 2015 movie, which won the Oscar. Inside Out yeah, is my favorite it. Pixar movie. I absolutely love Inside Out. I'm excited that there's a sequel here. There was enough room, I think, in that world, in that universe, to explore that concept further, especially as the main character ages and those feelings change. I'm really curious to see how that turns out. That's coming out on June 14th, 2024. And then from Disney Animation, of course, there's Strange World coming this Thanksgiving, which we knew about. And then coming next Thanksgiving is a movie called Wish, which uh, sort of sounds like the most inside Disney-ish animated movie you can make because it is about the origin of the star upon which 
other characters in Disney movies have wished. And that title is going to be coming out on November 22nd, 2023. But uh, let's take it on the other end of the industry, because uh, we know that Disney is hugely important, very important, whenever they do decide to put things on theatrical. Another side of the industry that's also battling this theatrical versus streaming question that's also very, very important for art houses and independent cinemas all over the country the independent scene, it's festival season right now, the August-September festivals, Venice, Telluride, Toronto, currently happening. Uh, we've got the first sort of inklings of how award season is going to shape up. Let's start chronologically, though. Uh, Sundance, which happened earlier this year, we've seen a number of titles already go out. I didn't think it was the strongest Sundance slate coming out this year. I think of those titles... The documentary Fire of Love was very good. I thought Breaking, I believe, was distributed mm. by Bleecker Street with, uh, with John Boyega, was very, very good just as well. recently. Yeah. yeah, I recommend that one. I, I enjoyed that uh, a lot more than I thought I did. But the big sort of picture coming out from Sundance was another big ticket buy from Apple, which uh, famously bought Coda for a chunk of cash last year, didn't really put any effort for a commercial theatrical release, put all that money throwing a big awards campaign and uh, nice, cool cocktail parties <laughs> for people like ourselves in LA and New York. And yeah, it worked. They bought an Oscar. This year, uh, Apple spent $15 million. I don't know what they're buying here, but they got Cooper Rafe's Cha-Cha Real Smooth, a film I thought was fine. I, I enjoyed it. It was good. It came and went from theaters. Did you know this came out? Like, did you have any idea Apple released Cha-Cha Real Smooth at some point this year already. I did, and I'm going to say, I, I probably almost shouldn't admit this, but someone that I love dearly will have to sit me down in front of that movie and tell me that they love it dearly, because otherwise the chances of me watching a movie called Cha-Cha Real Smooth <laughs> are extremely low. Well, whenever you do decide to sit down and watch it, I hope you can find it, because I'm not sure most moviegoers... <laughs> Can or will. Uh, the film received, I think, a token theatrical release. I'm not sure if it has much of a life in award season. It's just not that type of movie. I think that's the biggest curiosity coming out from Sundance. Can, a little bit different here, a trio of titles that I haven't seen yet. I missed the screening of Triangle of Sadness at Cine Europe. That's coming out October 7th from Neon. This is uh, Ruben Ostlund, who made Force Majeure and The Square, Two movies I really liked. Is that on your radar at all? Are you going to be catching that? Very much so. Yeah, I mean, I I like his other movies, and I'm and just the sort of basic the footage I've seen from this one I like quite a lot, and it seems like a mean movie, <laughs> which uh, maybe no surprise to from the person who just told you they weren't going to watch another movie because of the title. Then I'm like, oh yeah, mean movie, like Triangle of Sadness looks really appealing to me. But it does, and yes, I will watch it. Mean movie is the best way to describe The Square, uh, his prior film that also won the, the Palme d'Or. Yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to this title. I think that, that sense of humor connects to me. There's Scandinavian sense of humor, but one that I thought uh, worked really well in those two prior films I mentioned. Not a comedy, 
in, in any way, shape, or form is James Gray's Armageddon Time, starring Anthony Hopkins. Focus Features is going to be releasing that on October 28th. We saw a trailer of this, or actually a very brief scene at CinemaCon. The trailer's out there. It's been getting good notices. It's also played, I believe, in one of these uh, fall festivals, apart from Cannes. But going back to Neon, this was another Cannes title from one of my favorite filmmakers, Hirokazu Koreeda, coming out with his film Broker, coming out from Neon on December 26th. I love Koreeda. He's been one of my favorite filmmakers, I think, since I first started watching his movies 10 years ago. Did you get to catch Shoplifters a couple years back? I think Shoplifters was one of the best movies of that year, 2018, I think. I love Shoplifters. Honestly, the score to Shoplifters it's it's like 21 minutes long. It's it's a, a bunch of relatively brief kind of like sweet, like little sweet like fragments of music. I listen to that score all the time. I think it's gorgeous, but I love that movie. I think it's fabulous. And this is Coretta's first film since he actually left uh, Japan to make The Truth, a French language title. I think that came out in 2020, right? As a pandemic. Yeah, I think it was a pandemic. I think it was at festivals in 19 and, and came out in 20. But this movie does not return to Japan. He shot this movie in South Korea. It's got a South Korean cast, Song Kang-ho, who everybody sort of knows now, thanks to, you know, Parasite, was certainly the, you know, that's enough. I think it, just the two of them working together, I'm like, ah, yeah, fantastic. So, and, and there's, yeah, it's interesting that he's doing another movie outside Japan, that he's got this South Korean cast. So very curious about this movie. But let's move forward to the titles that have been uh, showcased more recently in Festivals like Venice, like Telluride, like Toronto, starting with a wide release from a major studio, Don't Worry Darling, that Warner Brothers is going to be putting out on September 23rd. But it seems like the movie's been getting picked up for all the wrong reasons in terms of its marketing campaign. We won't go into those reasons because uh, we don't have to, thank God. But let's talk about the film itself. I know there's been a lot of expectation here. September 23rd. At this point, the unfortunate thing is I don't think you can separate the conversation about the movie, which has to do with the whole bunch of different things. Who was cast in the movie, why they were cast, whether or not people involved were honest about who was cast and when and why, who was fired. Did Harry Styles spit on Chris Pine at Venice? I don't think he did, but you know, a lot of people are eager to talk about this stuff. And I get it, people like this soapy kind of real housewives of the Venice film festival sort of thing. All that stuff doesn't appeal very much to me. I liked Olivia Wilde's last movie. I think people seem very eager to dislike her right now for reasons that I think have something to do with a variety of fandoms, but it's probably not even worth getting into. I honestly could not tell you at this point what I expect out of this movie as far as performance goes. I genuinely don't know. I will tell you that far more people know about this movie now than than did a couple of weeks ago. But more crucially, if you if for anyone who is not a very online person, I don't think this movie is even close to being on the radar. You know, I think for normal audiences. I still don't think they know what this movie is. From the foreign film side of things, we've got Argentina 1985, a historical drama directed by Santiago Mitre, opening on September 30th from Amazon with a three-week exclusivity window before it goes on Amazon Prime. This is near the top of my list, Russ, as a film that I cannot wait to see. 
actor Ricardo Darín, who was in the film, has such a wonderful trajectory. He's like Latin America's Tom Hanks at this point. Uh, I can't <laughs> wait to see this one. Yeah, I'm curious. Amazon's release pattern is always weird to me. And I, f I feel like even despite the fact that it's my job to know what's being released and when, that I'm often very uncertain until a relatively late date what Amazon is doing with a movie, and I find that unfortunate. From there, though, there are two movies that I'm extraordinarily interested in. They're both returning filmmakers. One is The Banshees of Anna Sharon from director, writer-director Martin McDonough, opening from Searchlight on October 21. This is a movie featuring Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell, who once upon a time in an age that seemed like it was a completely different lifetime ago, co-starred in Martin McDonough's first major feature in Bruges, which is a brutally funny and sometimes just brutal sort of thriller, dramedy, comedy. And just knowing that three of them did another movie together is frankly enough for me. I will show up to watch Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson just talk to each other for an hour and a half. And in this movie, it seems like one of them hates the other for reasons that are mysterious. Fantastic. Great. I'm there. I can't wait. And then we have Tear. I believe it is pronounced Tear, which is the third movie from writer, director, and at one point actor Todd Field, starring Kate Blanchett as a sort of superstar composer who either has a fall from grace or is canceled or both. It, based on everything I know, it directly addresses that sort of, uh, a, a number of things along those lines that are very current in culture right now. The first footage from this movie was phenomenal. Todd Field is an excellent director. He did In the Bedroom and Little Children, both movies that are spectacular and not easy to watch dramas. And I very much expect this to be along the same lines. It's coming from Focus on October 28th. It'll absolutely be a big awards player. It's a movie that we will continue hearing about into right up through the Oscar ceremony in early 2023. I think if anybody right now said Kate Blanchett is absolutely going to win the Oscar for this movie, I think half the people in town would be like, yep, yep, you're right. She's, she's going to. So, and that's for, I haven't seen it, but yeah, I'm very interested in the movie. And then we've got uh, from Netflix on a much longer window than we're getting from Focus, a six-week window, Russ, for Alejandro González Iñárritu's Bardo coming out on November 4th. I think this may be, I have to confirm it, I think this may be the longest theatrical window Netflix has ever given a release. Uh, I might cut that out of this episode if I do five seconds of research after this and find out I'm wrong. But it's going to be in theaters for a good amount of time. Uh, the reception hasn't been great so far from the folks that have seen it at festivals. I'm intrigued. Uh, are you? I'm curious. You know, I, I think sort of like I was saying earlier that people seem to be ready to dislike Olivia Wilde right now. People seem to be willing to dislike in order to as well. And, you know, this is a movie that is, if I had to guess, I would say that Netflix's long theatrical window on this movie is rooted in the performance of Roma. Obviously, a movie by a different filmmaker, but like Bardo, a movie that has its roots in the filmmaker's 
past in, in, in his own story. And I can very much see Netflix approaching this from a similar angle. Whether or not that's the case, uh, obviously we don't know, but that's my guess. And yeah, you know, the, there's a very insidery reaction to this movie that wasn't great. And I'm a little bit suspicious of it. And I uh, am curious to see how it plays when it gets in front of people outside of a festival scenario. And uh, finally, White Noise from Noah Baumbach, scheduled for November 25th, a one month window from Netflix. The same amount of exclusivity that Netflix gave Noah Baumbach last time he had a movie of theirs with Marriage Story back in, when was that, 2019? A decent uh, exclusivity window, once again, for for Baumbach and Netflix. This is adapted from a Don Delilo, Delilo, how do I say this guy's name? You know, I've read his books and I don't know whether it's Delilah or, or Delilo. I have said both and I'll continue to say both until I sound I'm like corrected. an ignorant buffoon already. But listen, this is one of those books that's been on my I want to read this shelf. Now I get to see a film adaptation first. So you, you've read some of his books before. Uh, I know Cosmopolis, the Cronenberg movie that came out a couple of years ago was another adaptation from this author. How are you approaching a, a title like this coming out uh, around Thanksgiving? Yeah, it's interesting. The long theatrical window is, I think that's due to Netflix's relationship with Bombach, which is great. Having Adam Driver in the lead role is certainly a good thing. I, it's a weird book. You know, I've read the book based on what I've seen from the movie. I haven't, I watched a trailer. I haven't read reviews or anything. It seems like not necessarily like he, Bombach changed things significantly, but it seems like the, the way that the movie focuses upon some of the events of the book and presents things is a little bit its own. And that's cool. I like that. You know, it's a very, you know, White Noise is one of those like big American 20th century novels. And the movie certainly looks like it has the potential to be one of those difficult adaptations that kind of struggles with adapting a giant American novel. We've seen this multiple times. You know, they're always tough to do. But occasionally they work or occasionally they find a life of their own. And uh, yeah, I hope for the best with this one. I like the cast. I like the book. I like Baumbach. But but genuinely at this point, I don't know. And I don't know if it's going to click with people. We're kind of working from a list here, but there are two other movies that were not on our list that I think are essential to bring up right now. They both premiered on the same day over this weekend. Uh, reviews for both have been glowing, and I think they both have not only a lot of potential as representatives of uh, as new movies from their respective filmmakers, but I think they're movies that will find an audience. One of them is Glass Onion, the Knives Out sequel from Ryan Johnson. Right. Which, yeah, that's interestingly Netflix now, huh? is Netflix. It's a ne- it's so well at the festival. And the reviews are basically like, yeah, it's better than the first movie. It does the things that the first movie did that you liked, and it does more and better. And it's amazing to me that Netflix is not, given some of the other long theatrical windows that we've just talked about them doing for other titles, I think it's going to be amazing if Netflix does not do some sort of significant theatrical exclusivity for this title. I would love for people to be able to see Glass Onion in theaters. And so I'm going to be really curious to see what Netflix ends up doing with it. The, the way our luck goes, they're going to announce it tomorrow in the gulf between <laughs> when we record this and when we release it. But as of right now, it does not seem like the, the theatrical plans are, are public yet. And that is precisely, I think, one of the rare occasions when I look at a title from a streamer that I think, wow, not having this in theaters 
is hurting theatrical. This isn't something I say with Netflix very often. I, I don't think The Irishman was going to be a hundred million dollar movie. I love The Irishman. It never intended to be a hundred million dollar movie. It was not going to be that movie. Roma wasn't that movie. Beast of No Nation wasn't that movie. That's okay. I was always happy that those movies went out in a way where a studio or a streamer could give them, could give the filmmakers the resources to make these films for a very limited theatrical audience. I wish they had a bigger run in theaters, but I got it. In this case, Russ, I'm with you completely. This is a multiplex movie. This is a take the family to the movies movie. And if it doesn't get a wide theatrical release, it's going to be, I think, the biggest hit that Netflix has had against theatrical since this conversation started. I see the potential for that to be true. And I think that the problem is that what you just articulated is exactly the reason that Netflix probably debating what kind of theatrical window to do. Given the graph of their subscriber numbers over the past 12 months, I can see Netflix weighing the question of like, is this going to do more for us as basically a streaming exclusive? Are we going to be able to juice subscriber numbers with this movie? Or is a theatrical window for this movie only ultimately going to serve as an ad for people watching this movie on Netflix on Christmas Day with their family? When it comes down to it, I think Disney's streaming strategy has a lot more impact on the theatrical business but with this decision from Netflix around what happens with a the theatrical release for the Knives Out sequel, Netflix might be part of that conversation too. And then the other big title is premiered immediately after Glass Onion, and it's The Fablements, Steven Spielberg's movie, which is more than loosely inspired by his own childhood. His family's moved to Arizona when he was, uh, you know, a boy, a pre-teenager. Uh, him growing up into a filmmaker, his parents' divorce, the divorce which informed all of Spielberg's early movies, you know, notably Close Encounters uh, and Jaws and E.T. It's like the big Spielberg hits were all informed by the stuff that is in this movie. Uh, the first trailer is out. It, it looks like Steven Spielberg making a movie about growing up and learning to make movies. I'm like, I want to watch this movie immediately. Uh, Universal was releasing it. I think it's limited November 11 and then wide November 22nd. That is a movie, if there's anything that I think is going to be kind of a, that I hope to be a theatrical surprise and an, a stronger than expected performer. Let's see what the Fablemans does. And related, I think, to those themes of, uh, of falling in love with cinema and appreciating things from that end. Sam Mendes with a similarly inward-looking title, Empire of Flight, that has also been hitting the festival scene recently. That's coming out on December 9th from Searchlight Pictures. Yeah, I think obviously there's a wider audience appeal to the Spielberg title, but all bets are off after seeing how West Side Story performed last year. Sam Mendes' title, Searchlight Pictures, uh, that doesn't have to be a big event film for families, but I'm still interested to see how the theatrical experience is uh, is promoted with that film's marketing campaign. There's a great opportunity with The Fablements and Empire of Flight, the two movies that we're talking about here, to really champion the magic of going to the movies after two years of audiences not really coming back in these winter months to see films that don't star Spider-Man. 
So I think uh, I really hope that's an opportunity that the industry can really jump on and work with these two uh, renowned filmmakers to help promote that angle of their upcoming films. Well, Russ, thank you very much for joining me in this long conversation, going over so many things happening here and affecting the exhibition community. Uh, moving on to our feature segment is my interview on Cinema Week, a new week-long initiative to get people excited going back to the movies coming this October I speak with Rich Dottridge from the Independent Cinema Alliance and Brandon Jones, creator of Cinema Week, coming up after this break. The Box Office Company has developed the tools and services to empower you to take charge of your digital marketing, and we are committed to continuously evolve with the latest trends and provide a seamless moviegoer experience. We're excited to share our latest addition to the Boost ecosystem. Our food and beverage ordering platform streamlines the purchasing process, so concessions are always one tap away. Whether they'd prefer to pick up concessions at the kiosk or have them delivered directly to their seats, guests can tailor their experience and even leave gratuities for service that keeps them coming back. Contact us to get started at sales at boxoffice.com. And we are back here on the Box Office Podcast for our feature interview segment of the week around Cinema Week, another initiative coming to engage movie theaters. From October 7th to the 13th, we will be talking to the creator of Cinema Week, Brandon Jones, alongside Rich Dockridge from the Independent Cinema Alliance. After an 8.1 million admission Saturday for National Cinema Day, an unrelated initiative that also helped spur movie going, Cinema Week is coming to theaters this October to help bring in more moviegoers, help bring in and champion that movie going experience. These are highlights from a webinar conversation we held earlier this week with both Brandon and Rich. Let's start with the first question. Brandon, how would you say that Cinema Week contrasts from Cinema Day in its presentation and execution? Yeah, Daniel, thanks a lot. And I appreciate your support, you know, since we launched even the first Cinema Week and really appreciate the platform and bringing exhibitors on and, and partnering here with Rich and being able to talk about this. So thank you first and foremost for sharing this platform with us. I think Cinema Day was a big success and I think a lot of kudos should go to Jackie and Patrick and the team at the foundation and at NATO for being able to pull that together in such a short period of time and really rallying. Look, we know what it's like when we did this uh, previous year to get the industry aligned for a moment in time is is really difficult to do. And I think they did an outstanding job of it. And it did bring moviegoers to the theater. And ultimately, that's a win for all of us. From the Cinema Week perspective and the Film Frog perspective and myself and as, as an exhibitor, you know, we appreciate both Cinema Day and Cinema Week. These are the types of activations and initiatives that will, as we move forward, make our industry even stronger and build more moviegoers and more momentum to going to the movies. You know, as, as we've had conversations with Jackie and Patrick and myself that, you know, I really do see that there's an opportunity for us to align. You know, it's, it's challenging when you're doing something right out of the gate. You've got to just, you got to put it on the calendar and, and go for it. You know, they prevented, presented a very compelling offer of $3.00. And I think we're Cinema Week, you know, when we got into this, you know, ours was we really did not want to touch the pricing model. That was not our initiative. We want to really focus on the experience of going to the movies, the, the amount of content. We'll get into what is all playing during Cinema Week at theaters all over the country. We know that also what we do 
is a lift for exhibitors. There are, there are some more moving parts with it. So there's different ways you can participate and also ways you can make it your own. So throughout the week, I think, you know, leading up to cinema week and throughout the week, you're going to see those, those differences, but we're really focused on content and the experience this year. There's tons of reasons to go to the movies during cinema week. Now, Rich, you participated as an exhibitor on national cinema day. You're also representing the ICA that's helping organize some of the marketing initiatives that really coordinate eventizing cinema week as well. From the exhibitor's perspective, how does cinema week differ from national cinema day and how are you communicating that? to the moviegoer that might not understand the difference at first glance? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think we're, in a lot of ways, working through that. I mean, obviously, the, the names are similar. I, I, would, I would sort of echo what Brandon said first and foremost, that I don't think it matters who does it. Let's just create experiences and moments and marketing strategies to get people back out to cinemas generally. But I can tell you, uh, our circuit warehouse cinemas, you know, they're two distinct brands. We have two distinct look and feels. One's a week, obviously. One was a day. One focused on pricing in the cinema day. Cinema Week is really about activation across seven days. We're going to lean into, you know, the thing that I'm most excited about for independents, especially the ICA members, is the ability to have a ton of assets uh, when it comes to jumping into the hangar and pulling down social media assets with copy already ready to go. And, and then so every single day you have something else to promote, maybe a few times a day, even across multiple channels. You know, for me at least, and I don't want to speak for Brandon because he's the Cinema Week guy, but for me, the long game is figuring out, you know, what does it look like in five years? I think if we at the ICA support initiatives like Cinema Week and Cinema Day, let's make sure that we get aligned and we get the word out there that going to the movies is a great experience. And I think we've heard many, many people, at least on my side of the exhibitor side of the business, but they haven't been to the cinema in years. And so when they come out for Cinema Day or Cinema Week, both did a job that basically got people back out to the cinemas. And I think that's that's the end goal. And collectively, when we do this, as we saw with the National Cinema Day, when the industry rallies, it doesn't matter what it's for, but if we were rallying for any cause or any purpose, when the industry gets together, we are a powerful industry. And one of the reasons we're really powerful is because consumers love what we do. I mean, it's entertaining. It's it's fun to be when the Amsterdam trailer drops yesterday, people are chattering about it and talking. And again, the reason we do these things all at a moment in time so that there's bigger amplification. So as an exhibitor, and I am an exhibitor, Rich is an exhibitor, we feel this, we know, we understand this, and we built this from an exhibitor's perspective. You have a guiding theme this year. There's actually... Uh, let's say, a mantra that you're going to be leading with. Cinema connects us. Brandon, can you speak about that and, and how that came together? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important. You know, recently I, I started mentoring this young man. He's about 29 years old. And we started about talking about like what lights him up. And he started talking about movies and going to the movies. And he was talking about how his family, they connect when they go to the movies and how him and his brother will recite movie lines for hours and say nothing but say everything in that moment. And it's really this connective fabric. And I think that that goes the same for, for all of us and our employees about, you know, cinema motivates us, it captivates us, it employs a lot of us. And that's really this connective tissue that when we find these moments in time, you know, our employees are energized, they're more excited, they're giving better service. The audience is connected through this moment of 
when you go the anticipation you get before you go to the movies and as the lights come down. And then afterwards, when you're talking about the movie with the people you went with or with other people in the audience and that moment that we're all vulnerable with our emotions, that is a connective thing. You'll see cinema connects us as our theme and we'll be replacing that word connects with other actions and descriptors like motivates, inspires, educates, empowers, listens. So, and I think that cinema does those things. And and it's important for us to talk about the movies. That is absolutely important, but it's also this overall experience about exhibition and why you go to the movie theater, why you choose to get up off your couch and go to this experience. You know, cinema unplugs us. And I think that's another one that we don't talk about enough when, when you go to the movies, and especially people who haven't been in a while, and they, they realize, oh, there was no distractions. You know, the dog wasn't barking. I wasn't changing the wash. Somebody else wasn't sitting on their phone. Like, you really buy into this moment. And the more we can elevate those types, that type of message in this Cinema Connects Us theme, I think people, it's been really resonating with people. And we've been getting a lot of traction on it. Yeah, I think, you know, the word that comes to mind is I think we have a tendency in this industry as exhibitors and even marketers to be transactional about buying a movie ticket. You know, sometimes price can move the needle on that. And that's a, that's a good thing. I think what Cinema Week is trying to do is talk about almost recalling the feeling you had going to the movies. I always use the example when I'm speaking at different events of, you know, you oftentimes can't remember what movie you saw, but you remember who you were with. And I think that's the fiber of sort of what Cinema Week is trying to create. I'm not trying to put words in Brandon's mouth. <laughs> but what, <laughs> what we love at Warehouse Cinemas, when, when we think about like something like Cinema Week, we have fresh new content that's just not the film, which the film content, obviously trailers and all the social assets we get from distribution is key. But we have an opportunity to take a really polished look and feel branding element that talks to the feeling of going to the movie, not just the transaction of going and seeing a movie XYZ. What we need to do as an industry, and Daniel, I know you talk a lot about this and you used the word rally earlier. What we're doing at Warehouse Cinemas is we're going to rally. like We're going to sort of climb the wall together with our counterparts in the independent cinema space and really lean into promoting this day just like they promote a shark week, just like they promote a record week, right? Mm-hmm. Restaurant thing. So the long game is, in addition to all the great sponsors and the paid media, I, I really believe what at least my goal from the ICA's perspective is to talk about it as much as we can and really ask people to participate, like jump in with both feet, promote it on your social channels because the earned media across 8,000 independent screens, for example, those that the ICA represents, we would love for them to leverage their social media to get the word out for the long game. The long game is a, a year or two or three People are like, you know what? It's cinema week. There's a lot of stuff going on that week. I want to go to the movie again. Oh yeah, it, it reminds me that I haven't seen that movie that, that that came out. I want to go see a movie that was maybe three or four weeks out uh, before it leaves leaves cinema. So I I just I feel strongly that exhibition needs to play a part more than ever promoting film and promoting movie going not just relying on studios to do flyover marketing. They're going to do that at a large scale in most cases. But we as exhibitors have a responsibility, frankly, for the health of the industry to really dig in and promote things like Cinema Week. Let's look at that schedule that that you have set for the Cinema Week initiative, Brandon. Can you go over some of these different themes tied to different days and that very attractive unifying message unlimited popcorn all week long. You tried that last year. It was one of the things that got you 
a lot of press attention on, on year one of Cinema Week. Yeah, it was actually, I think, the thing that got us the most earned media to the point that even Seth Meyers talked about it on his late night monologue. And so, yeah, we were, we're asking exhibitors, you know, it's not free popcorn, but if somebody purchases a popcorn, then, you know, you give them a refill on that visit as much as they want to be pretty cost effective. And we think it is a great message that people will pick up on and people can resonate. And it's also, you know, it's exhibitor focus. It's something that we control. We don't, you know, as an exhibitor, you've got to ask yourself whether you can do it, not anybody else. So you're putting some skin in the game. The other big ask that we have is really focused around community day. We have about 65 locations that are offering a free screening to an underserved youth organization, inviting 100 kids in. So we have over 6,500 kids that otherwise would not be able to, probably not be able to go see Lyle Lyle Crocodile. We are aiming to get to 10,000. I think that's a great first, first attempt at a community day. So many exhibitors already give back to their community. Let's really highlight that and put that on a pedestal. Uh, we do have the Dallas Mavericks are getting involved in that and they're going to send some players out to a couple theaters. We're continuing to work through an expanded effort on that line as well. Yeah, that that's community day. Those are the first two big asks that I would say of exhibitors. Unlimited popcorn and then participate in community day. The other thing that is really cool about Cinema Week this year is the amount of content that we can share. So there is literally something to do or see different at the theater every night of the week. We're going to be in the second week of Bros from Universal, second week of Smile from Paramount. I'm really looking maybe to do something cool with one of those. And then on October the 7th, you have the opening of Lyle Lyle Crocodile from Sony, Amsterdam from 20th Century, and Tar from Focus Features. And then you close out the week uh, with Halloween Ends, the closing out of that franchise with Universal. But during the week, then there's, we want to celebrate, there's five event cinema titles. So you can literally, again, go to the movies any night of the week and there's something different. This also recognizes why people need to come to the movies outside of just the weekend nights. So you've got Trafalgar has Billy Joel live from Yankee Stadium. Iconic has a fifth year anniversary screening of A Silent Voice. And they also have Terrifier 2. Both of those can still be booked. There's some room in there. A few hundred screens left for each of those. Then you have from Cinelife, The Retaliators, which is available to book now. We'd love for you to book it during Cinema Week. There will be some exclusive content from Retaliators for Cinema Week. And also they're going to send some film, some of the filmmakers out to do drop-ins at some local theaters. And then Fathom has the 25th anniversary of Scream 2. So that's the week two titles, opening week titles, closing night title, and five event cinema titles. And we, we really feel like Cinema Week this year is going to be the kickoff to Q4. There, there's a lot of of content that has come into the week. You know, a couple weeks ago, Amsterdam moved into Cinema Week, which we thought was very important. And you're right, there, there's literally something for everybody, diverse tastes, different types of movies. You can go with your, on a date, you can go with your family, you can go with your friends, you can go with people who love music, who love horror. I, I just, I think it's going to be fantastic. And that does it for this week's episode of the Box Office Podcast. Thanks again to our co-host, Trust Fisher, for joining us earlier on in this episode. And thanks to our guests, Brandon Jones and Rich Dockridge. The Box Office Podcast comes out every Thursday. Don't forget to subscribe. This show is produced by Box Office Pro in collaboration with the Box Office Company and Record Edit Podcast. Thanks again for supporting us. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you.